You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Well, thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. Um, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Holly, and uh, my husband Philip and I have been pastoring Oasis Church in Los Angeles for 35 years, and we just kind of began a transition here this last weekend, so that's kind of exciting, yes. new seasons ahead of us. Um, but just honored to be here. I love uh, communicating to women. I love um, inspiring women to actually take their leadership place in their roles, and so thanks for joining us here today. And we've been on the Art League team for uh, 10 years, uh, Philip and I, and just uh, love that. Love, love our tribe, love our people, and you're welcome to the tribe.
women had not been allowed to because of the Jewish custom. And so this showed, again, the level of value that he placed on women as well as men to be his disciples. Wow. In fact, the Gospels describe seven women in Luke 8, 3, um, with the Greek word, word diakoneo, hmm. and it means to serve or minister. Wow. And it's the same word that's used to describe the ministry of the seven men appointed to leadership in the early church. Wow. And, and so we can't ignore the fact that these seven women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome, the mother of Zebedee's sons, Joanna, Shusa's wife, Martha, and Peter's mother-in-law, and Susanna, were described by the same ministry title ascribed to men who were leading in the early church. Signifying, again, that Jesus did not separate. He placed value on their their ministry in the church. And he he offered women a new community. Hmm. In Luke 8, it says this. After Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene. From whom seven demons came out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, this would have been a shock to the ancient world because women didn't travel with men, they stayed home. But with Jesus, women were offered the chance to learn. They were offered the chance for a different place. And when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, who was a victim, yeah. A lot of people would call her this immoral woman, but in that day, women didn't have the right to to get divorced. They couldn't. So she was divorced, probably because she was barren. Four times. Wow. So the, and the man she was with now was like, eh, well, you're not good for kids. I'll just keep you around. Wow. So she was a victim, and but considered immoral. But Jesus actually placed value on her. He engaged her in the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and anybody. He engaged this one. And it also reveals the first time that Jesus actually reveals himself as the Messiah. Wow. So again, he's placing value on a woman that others had disregarded. And, you know, one of the greatest marks of how Jesus turned the tables uh, was just in the worth of a woman's testimony. So Mary Magdalene was the first to witness Christ after the resurrection. And she was the first to be commanded to go tell. So she conversed with the risen Christ. Wow. And had a personal conversation with him, which he called her by name. And he told her to go tell his brothers. Tell his brothers that he was returning to my father, your father, to my God and your God. And I just wonder, you know, what impact that had on the male disciples just to realize that Jesus not only appeared to a woman first, but he asked her to be the first to testify of his resurrection. Yeah, right? Okay, so that's Jesus. And I don't understand why every woman on the planet is not a follower of Jesus. Right. I'm just Come saying, on. I'm just saying. Because he was such a liberator of and placer place of value. <laughs> that's, that's correct grammar. Yes. Um, all right. And then Paul. Now, Paul's the one where we all, people just think there's such, such trouble with Paul. <laughs> and there are a number of his writings, but... Um, Um, I'm just going to pick one of the portions of his writing. But what I want to encourage you to do is there are plenty of other ones that can be challenging is to actually study. Do some of the research. And these books that I recommend at the end, um, that'll be helped to you. Because I'm just going to pick one. All right. In Ephesus, what the... You know, the letter to the Ephesians was written to the people in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an absolute immoral mess. Uh, This is where the center of, you know, the worldwide worship of Diana, the fertility goddess, was. And, I mean, her statue had, like, two dozen bare breasts. (laughs) Really interesting. Um, And the temples had prostitutes. Um, That was part of the worship. And... And then at this time, there was the Roman influence of witchcraft and the, and the worship of Caesar. So when Paul and his team came, there were so many converts. Because yeah. again, they were hearing freedom and the good news for the first time. And then Paul left Ephesus. And so he wrote this letter. He wrote the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy to his protege, to Timothy. And part of the letter is just his concern for his son. You know, his spiritual son, just concerned for his health, his welfare, just encouraging his soul. But the other part is Paul's concern for the church and just giving him wisdom about how to lead a church in a very dark, challenging city. 
I pastor in Los Angeles. I get this. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in one of the, it, it's in one of the sections expressing concern for the church that we find one of the passages that has been used by so many to keep women from teaching and leading. Okay. Well, you version doesn't like me right now. It's timed out. So one second. It's coming. It's coming. I know. Patience. Technology is a beautiful thing, except for when it doesn't work. No idea, Holly. Again, if you could just, is you have a Bible? First Timothy is what we're trying to read. You just have to go to the offline version. I've done this. Let me help you. you. Let, let the old person help you with the technology. I've got you.
begins with, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So that, that's a very different word. It's not women, it's that woman. He's speaking to a woman. We've all had that woman in our church. I've had that man in my church too. Who is that woman? So he's talking about a single woman. It's not women. Women was in the first verses. We said women dress this way, women attire this Okay, that woman, she needs to learn in quietness and submission. Now, the couple things I want to pull out about that. In this culture, women weren't even allowed to learn. So the fact that he's even giving her permission to learn is earth-shattering. Right? And so in this culture, again, the church was separated. Men would be on one side, women on the other. And because women hadn't been able to learn... They had never been allowed to be educated. Right. So then they would be sitting on the side and going, hey, can you explain that to me? Like yelling. Like across the aisle. So that's part of, part of it's that is the cultural. Yeah. But then the other part is he's, he's, he's a discipline factor to create order in a church. Right, yeah. right. Now he doesn't right. call out her name specifically, which she's probably glad about that. Because Paul was not afraid to call people out yeah. and give their names. But there's plenty of times when he you know, doesn't always. And so then he, in, so 11 through 15, he's talking about a specific woman. And then in verse 15, he goes back to women in general. So again, it's putting order yeah. and he's addressing a situation. Great. So I'm just trying to pull out one example of how so many times, how many times have you, has this verse been used to keep me from doing what I'm doing right now? Right? So there is a cultural context and there is a speaking about a woman. One yeah, moment. that's great. That's right, great. So like, from verse 11 to verse 15, the plural pronouns are gone. Are gone. There's sing, there's, there, it's a single, single pronoun. You know, that woman thinks she has to be quiet. And so, I mean, perhaps that woman was one of the women who was a was a promoter of the false teachings that had been troubling the Ephesian church. And so Paul was trying to put an end to deception and potentially, you know, would be the first step in restoring not only the deceived woman, but an entire church. And again, it's interesting that Paul says this woman must learn. It's a very gracious response. Um, he wasn't silencing women. Right. He was silencing this one for now. Right. She just need to learn. Right. Learn. That's great. Right. Because then, he, writing to the same Timothy, he writes in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. That word is anthropos, which is always translated men and women. Huh. It's not the word for men. Wow. It's men and women. Wow. So it's like entrust to reliable men and women who will also be qualified to teach others. Wow. Context matters. Great. And then in Acts 18, we learn that both Priscilla and her husband Aquila were leaders in the church in Ephesus. Yeah. And that she was a part of the team that taught Apollos the correct doctrine. It says Apollos came into the town and was teaching some things. And it says Priscilla and Aquila brought him into their home and both taught him correctly. A husband-wife team, probably the first one mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Husband-wife team. And then Romans 16, 7, it says, To greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Yeah. So Junia, along with her husband Andronicus, were not only considered apostles, which is amazing. Yeah. And they're a couple. So they're husband-wife team, that's what most scholars would say, and they're both apostles. But Paul actually goes and calls them outstanding apostles. So it just lets us know that Paul is not looking at their gender when he's applauding right. them, but considering their devotedness and their giftedness and their calling. Yeah, that's great. And it's hard to imagine any of these women with the influence and the roles they carried as being silent in the church and without any authority. Right? Today, planet Earth, two-thirds of the Bible-believing Christians are women. So it doesn't make strategic sense that God would silence two-thirds of his army. Come on. And interesting, in the, in the secular arena, you know, Princeton University did a study on women in leadership. This is not church leadership, just in general yeah. leadership. And they found that um, women are important to have at the table, whatever table that would be. Because generally, they tend to be no, not always. This is just, again, their study and their conclusions. This is Princeton, not me. They tend to be more collaborative. That women tend to be more collaborative. 
right? Women tend to be more inclusive. Women tend to be more empathetic. Interesting, we tend to be more flexible. I think that's the God-given gift, right? And and the other thing that they said in that study, which I found interesting, is that women tend to bounce back from adversity easier. Wow. So that's why the person made the point they should be at the table. Wow. Because what they're going to bring is unique and needed. And in the United Nations, I have a friend who worked as executive director um, at the United Nations, and I learned a lot from her. And the United Nations has concluded, they did all these studies, has concluded that nations, they first began studying in many of the nations in Africa, but then they went around the world. But they said that nations are stronger and healthier when women are included in government. Wow. Because the decisions that are made would have all those other skills. Yeah, that's great. So all that to say, the Bible includes us, gives us permission and freedom, and studies have been shown that we should yeah. be at the table because we make it stronger. That's great. So let me just qualify this. This is not licensed to be arrogant. Right. It's not a license to be domineering. Right. It's not a license to have this I know more attitude. The reason I'm giving you this or even talking about this is just to say, God says you're welcome to the table. Yes. And so then be diligent to learn and study so that when you're given the freedom, when you've been invited to the table, you have something to say. Right? Right? So not angry, just welcome to the table. And then let me just list three books that might be interesting to you if this is a subject that's remotely interesting. And, uh, the first one is, um, actually, I think if you, anybody is a communicator of God's word, they need to read this book. Um, it's called Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. Funny title, amazing book. Um, another one is Why Not Women by Lord Cunningham, who is the founder of YWAM. And then uh, Unveiling Paul's Women by Lucy Pepiat. P-E-P-P-I-A-T-T. Awesome. There you go. So is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the Bible, spiritual person. <laughs> yes. That was so wonderful. Do you need to borrow it? And good timing. Thanks, Sarah. Friends, we watch on each other. Holly just got her, her master's in biblical leadership. Am I getting it right? So that's part of the reason she's bringing some of what she's learned is for you and for me to be able to go, okay, God has equipped me and he's called me and empowered me to walk in confidence in the role that I'm given to play, right? And so that's that's why we want to equip you with some of the information about women and, and leading. Um, but I want to take a poll in the room. So how many people in the room are senior leaders? So whether or not you uh, co-pastor right alongside with your husband, or maybe you uh, like to be behind the scenes and, and your husband is the senior leader, but you are in senior leadership, how many of you would say that? Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, how many of you in this room are uh, on a support staff on a team? You maybe play the role of pastor or you're a leader. Anybody? A lot of you, too. Okay, great. That's awesome. So we're talking to an entire room of women who are leading in some dynamic, right? And so I just want you, as we're talking, to think about the context that God has entrusted you to lead in. Have any of you um, done the Enneagram? Okay. I told this to someone earlier, and they were like, ugh. Some of you are that person right now. Don't judge, okay? But if, if you've done the Enneagram, I just want to, by a show of hands... Know how many people in this room are an eight? Okay? We're like half. Okay, how many are a nine? Awesome. Okay, one? Two? That was a good move for the twos. Uh, Three? Awesome. Four? Five? No fives? Come on, there's gotta be fives. You just don't wanna raise your hands. That's what it is. Alright, alright, I see you. Uh, Sixes? Awesome. Sevens. Yeah! <laughs> the sevens would stand up and cheer, wouldn't they? Hey, this is not a class on the Enneagram, but what I have learned is that if we um, if we'll be diligent to understand the way that God wired us and the, the way that our unique personality is, it really helps so much in walking in confidence in the leadership lane that God's called you to. And uh, so I just think 
it's important to know yourself. If you're not a fan of the Enneagram, that's okay. I think you should get with the program. But, uh, but everybody else, do something to figure out how has God wired you, what are you gifted in, what's your personality lent to, because that's going to really help you walk in confidence in the role that God's called you to play. And you're all here at ARC because God has called you and positioned you in a role of leadership. And so part of our job is to learn who we are so we can walk in confidence in that. Um, Holly and I are like the same in the Enneagram, yes? So we are a seven with an eight wing. And uh, probably more of an eight at home, yeah? It's true. (laughs) That's at least what my husband tells me. So... uh, I I think that it would be easy to come into a session like this, and as we're talking, you'll probably hear a little bit of a similar sound, because we have a similar personality, and a similar passion, and so it's easy to come into a room like this and go, okay, well, maybe to lead in ministry, that's what I need to look like, and I would just really challenge you to be cautious there, because God did not create you to be me or Holly. He created you, you. And he positions you where you are right now for a reason. And I just want to encourage you in that. I think that so often we we see somebody leading and we go, okay, that's what it needs to look like. And then we end up trying to, it's like David, when he went to put on uh, Saul's armor. And he put it on and it just did not work. It didn't fit. He couldn't go out and do the thing God crafted him to do when he was wearing Saul's armor. And so I think we have to do the, the due diligence of figuring out how has God made me. How has he wired me so that we can run with confidence in the role that he's given us? So I just want to encourage you to do some introspection. How many of you in this room are administrative? Like, you love the details. Anybody? Yay. You are like my favorite We love you. Like, for real. I wish that I loved the details. Like, you love the details, but I appreciate that you care about them. How many of you are, are really pastoral? Like, you love sitting with people for hours and talking to them about their feelings and what's going on. Yay. You guys are real Christians, is what you are. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> how, many of you, how many of you like to teach or communicate? Anybody? Awesome. Awesome. So I think knowing what you're passionate about and, and how God's wired you is so helpful for running in the lane he's called you to. Yeah. There will be seasons of your life where if you're on staff at a church, you might be playing a role that is not your favorite thing in the world to play, right? <laughs> but I just would challenge you, if you can identify, okay, here's what I'm really good at. Here's my personality and what I'm passionate about. And take that thing and apply it right to where you're at right now. And just run with confidence. There is something about a confident woman who is secure in who she is and is operating in the giftings that God has called her to. And so I just want to encourage you that. I love that today uh, that uh, who was teaching about this? I think it was Pastor Chris. He was teaching from Romans 12, 6. And he said, we all have different gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. God made us all different for a reason. And I think that as women, often we struggle the most when we start comparing ourselves to other people. When we start feeling like we need to look or act or be a certain way. For those of you who are are senior leaders in your church, I know there's different types of women in the room. And I have a lot of friends who have felt so much pressure to have to be on a microphone, talking and communicating. and, And they don't love it. It's not their gift mix. And, and I would say, then you don't have to do that. You've got to do something because you've got to play a role. Holly's been so wonderful at encouraging women for years about understanding the role of a mom and a dad in a church. It's just like a healthy family, right? You have to have the presence of both. But you don't have to be a specific cutout version of a leader. And so I just want to encourage you in that. I, there's a saying I've been, I've been saying for years. It's also been one of my biggest battles personally. And it's this, comparison is the root of all inferiority. Yep. I, I've been talking to my little 10-year-old daughter about this. Last night I crawled in her bed because she was really struggling with herself and her identity. And and I. Uh, and I just said, babe, well, who are you comparing yourself to? And it, it was her sister. And, and so we talked about it. But here's the thing. If you're comparing yourself to someone else, yeah. right. it, whatever it might be, 
Whether it's in how you look, which is what my daughter is struggling with, or how you lead. If you're comparing yourself with someone else and their story, you're never going to feel enough. You're always going to feel less than. Because God didn't make you to be them, he made you to be you. And so I just, I want to encourage you today, the reason we teach about the women in leadership and the theology behind that is so that you are equipped with some knowledge to confidently walk in the role that God's called you into. But then we have to do the inside job of dealing with insecurities and silencing comparison. And, and, you know, one thing that we all tend to do a lot right now is the wonderful world of social media, right? It's like a buffet of comparison. Yeah, for sure. Have you gone to a buffet before? Does anybody else, like, you go to a buffet and you're like, yes, lasagna, Chinese food, Mexican food, and four different desserts. Anybody ever done that? But then you leave with a giant stomachache because it's like, that was a really bad choice. <laughs> The same thing goes for comparison. If we're scrolling through Instagram and we're looking at everybody's highlight reel or we're identifying, gosh, that person was preaching on Sunday morning and I don't don't ever get up on the platform to preach and maybe I'm not a good enough leader or whatever it might be, we're always going to struggle with feeling less than. So I'm just going to challenge you. If you're struggling with comparison, you're going to have to catch yourself. The thought comes in. You're going to, you may have a real thought, but you get to decide what you're going to do with that. You either let that thought run away with itself and start going down the negative self-talk train of all the things that you wish you could do better, or you stop it right where it's at. And you say, no, God, you made me uniquely as I am. You created me in my mother's womb. You developed the gifts that were in me since before I was born. You placed me in the position I'm in now. You've called me for this. You've equipped me for this. And I'm not going to shrink back because of comparison. So we get to do that. We get to encourage ourselves in the Lord, just like the Bible says that David did. So I want to encourage you in that. There's a scripture in Galatians 5.25, and it's in the message version. This would be a good one to keep track of. It says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, and everyone in this room, that's what you've chosen, that's why you're here, the life of the Spirit. It says, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but we work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. So I just want to encourage you. Walk in confidence of who you are, of the leader God called you to be. And and the last thought I'm going to share before we dive into the next portion that that Holly and I are really excited to talk about. God gave me this thought a couple years ago. You you all raised your hands. And everyone in this room is in um, in a different season of life. Everyone in this room is in a different position of leadership. Everybody's role in your churches looks just a little bit different. And if I could just challenge you with a thought that God challenged me with a couple years ago, it's this. It's three simple things. God positions, God promotes, and God keeps his promises. God positions, God promotes, and God keeps his promises. Listen, wherever you're at, Whatever your season looks like right now, God has positioned you there. I'm a seven, and the thing that I struggle with the most is always looking at what's next. I'm a preacher, too. I don't do good sitting down and talk. (laughs) I'm I'm constantly looking for what's next. But the thing is, is that God's positioned me where I am right now. And God positions. He puts us in the places that we're in, in the seasons that we're in. And you've got to remember that because if we're constantly looking for what's next, we're never going to be content with the season we're in now. And if you're in a position right now where you're just feeling like this is hard and it's challenging, God very well might have you there for a reason because there's some things you might need to learn in this season. And so the best thing we can do is go, God, what do you want to teach me right now in this position where you have me? It's that open heart and that teachability that will allow God to do what he wants to do so that when the time comes for the promotion, we're ready internally and externally for what God has because God positions and God promotes. Listen, we live in a world that is all about self-promotion. I can't tell you how many emails I get daily about how to boost my Instagram followers and what I need to do to market myself better. I can't tell you how many conversations I have had with people who have tried to tell me what I need to do to market myself. And I'm like, what? This is such a struggle because that's never the way that God intended the kingdom of God to be. But we live in a culture that is all about self-promotion. We live in a church culture. Yes. That is 
yeah. often about self-promotion. Right. And I just want to challenge you to guard your heart in that because God positions and God promotes. And His timing is perfect. So trust the timing of your life because God keeps His promises. And He's faithful. So everything He's put in your heart, all the dreams that He's given you, all the things that you just feel stirring in your life, oh, why isn't it time yet? Hey, listen, God's timing is perfect and He's a keeper of His promises. So remember that in the middle of the wrestle, when you're struggling with the waiting seasons of life, God positions, what's he trying to teach me in this season that I'm in? God promotes, he'll take care of you. Yeah. God keeps his promises. He's so faithful. Yeah, yeah. He really, really is. And I want to encourage you with that as you're leading. And then, okay, your turn. Okay. <laughs> Did everybody still go? You didn't even run me at all. I thought that you might. You have such good things to say. to get good at and to learn and to commit to and to and how I you know what's important is because you put it in your schedule yeah um, is relationships yeah you know the apostle Paul didn't do ministry alone in fact there's no way he could have done what he did by himself and along the way he encountered all those shipwrecks and got bit by snakes and he was beaten and but I think it was the people that actually were with him on the journey right that kept him going and Interesting, in the Bible, there are, um, Paul lists, I mean, he did write, his name is probably mentioned more than anyone's in the New Testament other than Jesus, and of course, he did write a lot of it, yes, <laughs> and, um, but in the pages that he wrote, there are over 100 people whose, na- he, whose names are written in his letters. Cool. It's the people who I think helped him navigate the shipwreck and the snake bites and the flogging and when he got beaten and left for dead they're the ones that carried him back into the city and and so I actually think it's the people that were with him that enabled him to bravely march on and that's why I think God listed so many of his companions in the pages of the New Testament so my question is who's written on the pages of your life who's going to help you when you get flogged or beaten or shipwrecked Who's, who's going to be that? And I just think it's it's the people that... I think God divinely assigns and puts people in our world. Yep. And sometimes we can be too busy... To notice. To notice. Yeah. We can be so busy yeah. that we don't actually take the time to invest in this relationship. And it's the relationship that God sent us to save us from what he knew was coming. Right. Right, so relationships are key. Or maybe, maybe even so, not just busy, but so stuck in our own selves. Yeah, yeah. Like our own insecurities, too. That, that can keep us from yes. relationships. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Our own insecurities, you're busy. Are yeah. thinking, what are they thinking about me? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a few levels of relationships that we're going to talk about. And I, for the first one, I, want, I just want to mention is that it's important to build relationships with your peers. Yeah. So whatever role you have in church life, it's important to build a relationship with someone who has a similar role, maybe at another church, just who loves their church. Yes. Right? And loves going to God's house. You're not trying to get them to come over to your church. Right. So if you're a children's pastor, find another one to connect with. You know, if you're a senior leader, then find another one that's up here that understands the weight of what you're carrying. And so, you know, having the relationships with your peers is crucial. I think in a season I'm really hard and there have been there have been a few seasons of hard in our church and you know a few, a few years ago I had a really brutal one and it was in that hard season that it was my friends like Megan or I have another friend like Don who was on the other side of the country that I would I just flew and spent a couple days but it's people like that that kind of help get you through it. So but let me tell you I wouldn't have those friends if I hadn't put the time in every day. And I think sometimes as women that's the first thing that goes. Yeah. Right, because our kids have games, our husband, you know, they want sex and a meal, and you know, we're traveling, we're busy, we're doing stuff, and then the thing that gets put on the back burner is our relationships, is the friendships that I think are God wants us to write on the pages of our life, right? Those friends that can see through it, and is it inconvenient most of the time? Yep. Because it, it takes time. Yeah. The sending of texts or the you know emails or phone calls or you know I just have made a decision. Most of the time when I'm in a car, I'm t- I'm on the phone. I put my little things in or put it because I that's a time when I'm connecting people. 
Yeah. And some people listen to music, whatever you do, you find that time. I'm just saying, when does it work for you yeah. to just connect with people? Um, all right, so peers. Yep. But then, and then the one I think we're going to chat about right now is just um, the spiritual mother, spiritual daughter. The older, younger. Yeah. About 25 or so years ago, I was reading Titus chapter 2, you know, in my Bible reading plan. And um, I remember reading it, and and it's not like I had never read it before, <laughs> but it, this time I went, <gasps> because it says, older woman, this is my paraphrase, your job is a younger woman. And I remember thinking, great, when I get to be 106, I'll be the old woman, and I'll help all those young women. And the Spirit of God said to me, is there anybody younger than you on the earth? Ah, oh, yes. I said, well, then she's yours. Wow. And so that changed everything. That changed how I reached women. It changed how I communicated because I realized my job is to communicate in such a way, is to create an environment that brings a younger yeah. woman in. And it doesn't matter how young you are, there's somebody younger. Yeah. So if you're in here and you're 18, you're old. Yeah. Right? Because there's a five-year-old who one day is going to be looking to you. Right? If you're in your 30, you're ancient of days. Right? At least you're ancient of days. You've made it, at least. Because there's going to be somebody younger than you. So there's always somebody younger than you. And we have to we have to adjust our thinking. So not only am I building relationships with my peers, but I'm looking younger. And we're, we're always in a relationship not with someone younger, but with someone older. Yeah. So at any given moment, there are there's women speaking into me and women I'm speaking yep. into. We're both at the same time. Yeah. And so those are kind of the three categories that I just think we have to be intentional to build. Yeah. Is, did you want to ask that? Jillian, right here. Uh, so they are actually asked uh, Megan and I to write a little bit about what it is to be a spiritual mother and a spiritual daughter. And so that's in the magazine. There's some really fun pictures that they must have grabbed off our Instagram. They must have. <laughs> so, enjoy. <laughs> in the magazine. But, um, so when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, like the, do you, like the spiritual mother. So I'll just give yeah, you an example from my role. So it's great. And for example, you know, Joyce Meyer has been someone that mentored me from afar for a lot of years. Yeah. I, you know, maybe one of the first books I read of hers was, you know, Me and My Big Fat Mouth or something. <laughs> Me and My Big Mouth is a called yeah. anyway. Not that I needed that. But, uh, <laughs> so I learned from her books that I was, and, and, and her honesty about her relationship and her ability to forgive in hard times. And so I learned and I was challenged and, and I, she wouldn't have known me from a fly on the wall. So, now, fast forward years later, we're friends, and we text each other, and I just spoke for her, so it's like we're friends now, but she was a mentor way before we became friends. Yes. So, I'm just saying, it doesn't always start with, you got somebody's phone number. Right. Sometimes it starts with, is there somebody that you're interested in, in learning from, then what does she, what does she do? Does she, is she a really great, you know, mom? Are you learning? Are you watching her mother? Is she... Communicator, are you listening to her teach? Are you she's already buying her books? Are you letting her mentor you from afar? Because it doesn't the first step is not always up close. Right, right. Right? Anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I think as the daughter, which is I feel like what you're talking about right now, the, the responsibility is on us, and every one of us is in the role of a daughter in some way or another. The responsibility is on us to reach out to people in our life who would play that role of a, of a leader. And and so there's the people that are going to mentor from afar, where you start reading the books and listening to their podcasts. If they don't have a podcast and haven't written a book, then my goodness, follow them on social media and ask them questions. Everybody loves a good comment on a post that they put on there, right? So you just do whatever you can to learn from the people that are at a distance. But there are people up close in your world that, that care about you and would love to invest in you. Now, what you need to know is that you're going to have to put yourself out there to figure that out. You're going to have to be brave enough to, to maybe send a direct message on social media and say, hey... I just got some questions about leadership, and I, I noticed that you do this well. Could I ever reach out to you? And you might get rejected a few times. You may get ghosted. A few people may not respond to you, but you know what? There may be a moment where someone does. And all of a sudden, there's this divine connection, and it's like, wow. And you've got somebody who's willing to speak into and encourage your life. But that also means you've got to be teachable. 
you've got to be the kind of person that's not just reaching out to build a relationship because you see someone and you're like, oh, I want to be friends with them. Or because they have a platform and you think it's going to help you build yours. Like, that's that's not a mother-daughter relationship. That's misery. And so I just would challenge you that it, you've got to be teachable, which means you also have to be vulnerable. If I'm struggling with something, I can't expect that Holly's going to pick up the phone and call me because the Holy Spirit has told her that I'm struggling. I mean, maybe that would happen. You're close with the Holy Spirit, so I feel like it could and has. But, but I have a responsibility to say, I'm struggling. This is what I'm struggling with. Not, oh, I don't really want to tell them because I don't want them to think I'm weak or that I can't handle this position that I'm in. I don't want them to judge my leadership. You're missing out because the role of a daughter is to come to a, a, a spiritual mother and be like, I am having a hard time. Like my little girl, when I crawled in bed with her last night and she said, I am having a hard time. And she spilled her guts about what she was struggling with because then a spiritual mom gets to come in and go, okay, I understand. And let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Let me build you up. So I just think as a, a spiritual daughter, you've got to be willing, first of all, to, to learn from people that you're not connected with. It, you got to start there. Yep. I think then you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah. Find some women in your world who are doing what you want to do right. and put yourself out there. Ask them if you can email them or call them. Do whatever it takes to get in their world. Buy them yeah. coffee. Send them a little thank you present. Whatever it looks like. And put yourself out there. And then you've got to be real and you've got to be vulnerable and you need to be teachable. Which means you don't have an excuse for everything that you're struggling with. And you don't dismiss everything they have to say. You're actually willing to listen to the advice that is given. And that's actually a really good point. There, there have been, just using you as an example. Perfect. You're so handy. Um, so, you know, just Megan got into my world. So what was, what the lane and the speed with which I was running, she just started running. And how can I tell? What do you want me to do? Can I help you here? Can I do this for you? I'm a little pushy, okay? Just a little. Um, sorry, that was my real daughter calling. But, uh, anyway, the biological call. Um, so, you know, running and, and serving, and, but she was also willing for me to challenge her. So she didn't just, and, and didn't get defensive. And so there have been people, just if I'm in this particular moment, if I'm a spiritual mother, there have been women who would come and want, you know, to be the daughter or whatever. And so, but they're not willing to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. They're too busy trying to posture. So, and then when I would offer a suggestion, well, you know, I tried that and I tried that one. So there has to be a, I, I used to, when I first got that Titus 2 picture, I would joke that when you are in older woman mode, and again, we all are, your job is to open up your heart and to live a life in such a way that a young woman actually wants to be. Yes. Yeah. If you're critical of her, if you're judgmental of her, if you're harsh all the time, if you're looking down your nose at her, if you keep demanding that she do something, then she's not going to be there. Right. So that's my responsibility. But in younger woman mode, so yet it's honest, open, but also a lot of time it's shut up. Yeah. Yeah. She, she may or may not have told me that once or twice. And listen, yes. learn. So I was, I would put it, you know, King James English, shut us up. Us. One time, one time early on in, in my relationship, as I'm getting to know Holly, um, and this is something I'd encourage you guys to do as you're investing in, in leaders that are in your life, is not only run alongside of them and see what you can do to serve them, but find out what they need and be that for them. I, that is the best thing that you can ever do, um, and run with them. That's, that's what they need more than anything. And in that moment, you will learn everything you need to know. Because most things I've learned from Holly, I've learned from watching, um, not from teaching. And so I just would encourage you to do that. But I'll never forget, we were sitting at- Here we go. <laughs> it's okay, it's not a bad story. We have those two, but I won't show that. Um, we were sitting at a hotel room, and I, I said to her, I said, okay, Holly, you've been spending a little bit of time with me, so what have you observed? What do I need to do to get better as a leader? And let me just tell you, that was really hard to ask because I was so nervous about what she was going to say because I actually really care what she thinks. And so (laughs) she was like, well, and she sat back for a minute and got quiet, and I thought, oh my gosh, is there a list? Like, how long is the list? And, uh, And she was like, well, are you 
you sure you want me to share? And I go, yes, from this point forward, you don't have to ask that anymore. You can just share anytime you want. And she does. And so, uh, <laughs> but she goes, I just think sometimes you need to learn how to just be a little more quiet. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> Okay, I'll try really hard. It, and it stung a little bit because I, I fill quiet space. I, I tend to talk a lot and monopolize conversations, and I'm seven. And, uh, and so I had to learn, okay, you know what? And I need to learn in environments to listen and to ask more questions and uh, to be a little bit more still. And so that was, that was hard. But it was also one of the things that challenged me to grow. So I would just encourage you to ask those questions. They're hard questions, but they're important to ask. It's very good. It's very good. Should we, since it's getting near questions? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of questions, Um, we just have like, I think, five or ten minutes, right, until we need to be out of here. Anything Uh, more time we need to be out? I think before we have to be out. We got eight minutes, y'all. We got eight minutes. So there's no pressure. We can pray and get out of here. But if you, if there's any questions about what we've talked about or something else or anything, anything? Yes, way in the back, back there. How do you go about people that are older than you? Oh, good question. How do you go about leading people who are older than you? Yeah. Um, honor. 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 I, I just think whatever you communicate, it's with honor. And there are, um, you know, I when we first started the church, I was pastoring a church for people who were older than me, right? So it's honoring, and it's asking questions, and uh, it's not demanding, and, it's, and living a life in such a way that it doesn't matter how old they are, they're going to live their lives, right? So it's... That, does that help? I think, I think too, you, you can walk in confidence of the role that God's called you to play and do it with humility. Yeah. And, and humility is yeah. a, a sweet smile and a willingness to learn and ask questions and honor, honor, honor. Yeah. Yeah. Be back here. Does that apply to leading men as well? Yeah, same thing. Same thing. It's not, um, you know, I've been in that position plenty of times. It's the same. It's, it's nobody likes to be. I don't care how old you are. Nobody wants to be talked down to yeah. or dominated or any of that. So yeah. it's like whoever the person is, I lead the way I would want to be led. Yeah, right. And, so and not not emotional. If you're dealing with men, I think you've got to remove as much emotion from the equation as yes. possible. Right. Yes. 100%. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who else? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, how do you lead people that are teachable? <laughs> I love you right now. She said, how do you lead people who aren't very teachable? That's a bit tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky, and we have them all in our life. And you know what? At one time, I wasn't teachable. Right. So I think I just, I have grace for people on the journey. And and as far as leading people, uh, I have learned that if somebody comes to me and asks my input, and I give it, and they don't take it, then I don't need to do that again. I mean, it's, I'm not mad at it. It's just like there's other people that do. So it's just, you, you don't get offended. I mean, I might not hire that person. Yeah. But you don't get offended. You right. just go on. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Did you have a question in the black shirt? Yeah. How do you navigate or determine in a situation um, when it's, if you're co-pastoring, when it's a situation that, that your husband needs to address versus you need to address yeah. or you press it together? I feel like there's a lot of tension. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, leading together is, oh, sorry, he said, how do you, hi, husband, (laughs) (laughs) you're making sure you're not causing trouble, yeah, he's in here checking it out, Um, she was asking, how do you know when when you're leading together, if it's a situation that your husband should address, or you should address, or is it something that you do together, and one of the things that we learned the hard way is that, that in leading together, you would have very clear lanes. So, and I was excellent at stepping out of my lane. Uh, I was excellent at that. And uh, cause that's where the tension would come. Because it's not like I don't see something in that lane. It's just not my lane to deal with. So oftentimes I would go, I'm just telling you, I'm confessing my faults one to another. Um, I would see an issue and I would go deal with it. And then, then the part, you know, if it's still a slain, it could have been somebody else's slain. But then, they, I, then I overstepped them. Yeah. Yeah. 
to, and because of the authority I have, then it just costs trouble. So I've, I've done that more than once. More than three times, probably. So, anyway, so I think the clearer you are with the lanes, the better. So if the situation or the problem, if you're in charge of uh, creative arts and worship, let's just say, and the person and the situation that is the problem is in there, that's your lane to deal with. If it's not, then it's not. Right? But, it, but then if there, there have been times when Philip and I would come together if there's a situation that's affecting the whole church. Yeah. yeah. Right? Then that's both of us speaking into it. Otherwise, you would stay in the lanes to which you have been assigned. <laughs> and, and I think, too, something to keep Philip and Holly have, have encouraged us in that so much, and it's been very helpful in identifying lanes um, so we don't step on toes. But I think also sometimes when you have um, people on your team that are maybe uh, husbands and wives as well, um, that oftentimes if you're dealing with the husband, sometimes it's, it's a good thing to bring your husband into that conversation. Um, we, we in our church specifically don't ever have um, sit down hard conversations with someone of the opposite sex. So we're going to bring somebody else into that. I'm, I'm sure you have the, those boundaries too, but that's just something to consider. I know what my husband is great at speaking to, um, and sometimes he can handle... He has a lot more grace with people, actually, than I do. My team um, could probably attest to that because if they have to sit down with me, I'd probably like reach the limit. Um, and so I, I would just encourage you to just know your strengths, too, yeah. and, and that will help you navigate the specific situation. Yeah. That's good. Any other questions? I have a question for Megan. Um, so having time with spiritual moms, yeah. it, it requires time for yeah. investment. How do you balance that with kids and other responsibilities? How, what are some things you do to get that time? Okay, so she just asked the question, how do you, coming off of that spiritual mother, spiritual daughter conversation, how do you uh, balance time with family and commitments and being a spiritual daughter? Growing. Yeah. Growing, okay. Yeah, um, we make time for what we want to make time for. So I just, I guess... It's hard to answer the question in the sense that I just think if, if I want to go spend time uh, shopping because I need a new outfit for ARC, then I make time for it. I figure it out. I bring the kids along or I get it. You know what? I just figure out how to do it. And so it is a lot of juggling, especially when you're leading in a, com- in a capacity in your own church um, and when you have children and when you have a husband and some of you are working bivocationally and there's so many things on your plate. And so I just think you've got to figure out, well, then how do I make the time? So does it mean that I invest in a babysitter once every six weeks so that I can go and get some quality time learning from somebody? Does it mean that I, I can't invest in a babysitter? So I say, hey, could I bring my kids and maybe we have a conversation at the park? Would that work for you? I'll buy your coffee and uh, bring you a gift to thank you as well. Uh, whatever it looks like, you, we make time for what we want to. And so what I say whatever it takes. I, like whatever you can do to make that happen while at the same time stewarding the roles that you've been given. I, I'm responsible before God for how I steward the church that God's entrusted my husband and I with. I'm, resp- I'm going to give an account to God. I'm responsible before God for how I steward the relationship with my husband. If I'm not prioritizing date nights with him, if I'm not, if I'm not doing that, I'm responsible before God. I'm responsible for how I steward my kids. I'm also responsible for how I steward my leadership development and, and leaning in and learning from some other people. So it's just going, Holy Spirit, I need some wisdom for how to juggle this great, faithful life you've given me. And um, when we ask for wisdom, he's very faithful to give it. So. Yep. Okay, one more. Probably one time for one more. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, okay, so she's asking, so how, if you're trying to build that spiritual mother-spiritual daughter relationship, how often would you spend time? I don't, I don't think you can legislate it. Yeah. I think there is a little bit of it happens organically. Yeah. You know, the, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, dinners or if she does she host a conference, do you go and just go on the front row and cheer on or phone, call, phone conversations, texts. So I think it's. Not quite so legislative. Yeah, I think for too long we've tried to have like these mentoring relationships, and I need to meet once a week for this much time. Hey, I don't, I don't think that works in the crazy life that we have. So I, I think you have to figure out what can I do, how do I get in her world. And by the way, I didn't say this earlier. Those of you who are really hungry for a spiritual mom, like you are going, man, I wish somebody invested in me and was speaking life into me. Listen, if you don't have that yet, not only do you need to put yourself out there, go be that. Yeah. 
go be exactly what you want someone to be for you. And I'm just telling you, God will take care of you. Just go be exactly what you want someone to be for you. And God will take care of you. I promise he will. He's so good like that. Amen. Father, I thank you for these women. And I ask that they would just uh, know that they uh, have your endorsement. And I thank you, God, for healthy relationships being formed and wisdom growing in each one of us tonight. Just uh, pray for them and pray for the rest of the services tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming ARC Conference, visit artconference.com.